are listening to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. I'm Father Edward Looney, the reader and commentator, and today we are reading from Volume 1, The Conception. We are continuing in Chapter 5 of Book 1, and we begin with Paragraph 61, which continues a reflection on Psalm 8. And just as a reminder, let me read the verse from Psalm 8 that is being referred to. What is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visitest him? Thou hast made him a little lesser than the angels, thou hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou hast set him over the works of thy hands, thou hast subjected all things under his feet. And so now we begin with paragraph 61. And if man, as says the same psalm, was crowned with glory and was constituted above all the works of the hand of the Lord... It was because the God-man, his chief, had merited both this crown and also that which is borne by the angels. The same psalm adds that, after having made man a little less than the angels, he placed him over the works of his hands. Yet these very angels were works of his hands. Thus David spoke to the whole human race when he said, God made man a little less than the angels. But although man was inferior in his nature, one man is found who is of superior make, and is set over these same angels who are works of the hand of God. This superiority is in the order of grace, not only as far as his divinity united to the humanity is concerned, but also in regard to the humanity itself, insofar as grace was conferred by the hypostatic union. It is a proportionate degree. His most holy mother likewise attained this superiority. Just as some saints in virtue of the same incarnate Lord can reach a station and throne superior to that of the angels. It is further said, I was brought forth or born, which means more than being conceived. For the latter refers to the divine intellect of the blessed Trinity at the instant when the incarnation was known, and as it were weighed in regard to its propriety. But to be brought forth refers to the act of the divine will, which determined upon his work for the most holy Trinity and its divine counsels, resolved upon the efficacious execution of this work by determining and preliminarily putting into effect the wonderful decree of the hypostatic union, and of calling into being Mary most holy. That is the reason for using first the word conceived, and then the words brought forth or born for in reality. The work was at first conceived, and then immediately afterwards determined upon and willed. He had not yet made the earth nor the rivers, nor the poles of the earth world, before the creation of the second earth, namely the earthly paradise, the sense in which the earth is mentioned a second time, into which the first man, after he had been created from the first earth of the Damascene plains, was placed, and where he sinned, the sacred humanity of the word and the material form, and where he sinned, the sacred humanity of the word and the material from which it was to spring, namely the virgin, was determined upon, For it was necessary that God should provide beforehand against her participating in sin, and against her being in any way subjected to it. The rivers and poles of the earth are in the militant church, and the gifts of grace which were to flow from the sources of the divinity. These were to flow toward all men, and with efficacy to the saints and the foreknown, fixed in God as in their pole or pivot, and being dependent upon him. They nevertheless move around him in seeking after the virtues of faith, hope, and charity, through which they sustain, vivify, and direct themselves, though yet entangled in human conversation. They are drawn toward their last end and toward the highest good, 
without swerving from the center about which they turn. Also, the sacraments and the institutions of the church are here signified. Her safety and stability, her beauty and sanctity, without blot or wrinkle. For this is what is meant by this circumference and these rivers. Before the Most High prepared all this and ordained this mystical sphere and system, of which Christ was to be the center and head, he decreed the union of the word with human nature and foresaw his mother through whom he was to execute these wonders in the world. When he prepared the heavens, I was there. When he prepared and preordained the heaven and the reward which was to be given to the just sons of the church after their sojourn upon the earth, then already was decreed the union of the humanity with the word, thereby meriting grace as their head, and with him as mother most holy. Having destined the greater part of this grace for the mother of the Son, he then disposed and arranged similar gifts of glory for the other saints. When with a certain law and compass he enclosed the depths, namely when he decided to close the abysses of his divinity, in the person of the Son according to a certain law and measure, which no living being can ever compass or understand, he delineated the sphere and circumference where none could nor ever can enter except only the word, since none but himself can ever fill this place. For thus he was able to empty and humiliate his divinity and the humanity then, both humanity and divinity in the womb of the most holy Mary, afterwards in the small quantity and species of the bread and wine, and finally in the narrow space of sinful mortal hearts. All this is indicated by the words abysses, law, and circular limits. They are called certain on account of their vast bearing, and also on account of the certainty with which they were to be fulfilled in spite of seeming impossibility, and on account of the difficulty of explaining them in words. It certainly did not appear feasible that the divinity should be subject to law, nor that it should enclose itself within determined limits. But the wisdom and the power of that same Lord made it possible and has accomplished it by enclosing himself in a designated, created being. When he established the sky above, and poised the fountains of the waters, when he encompassed the sea with its bounds and set a limit to the waters, that they should not pass their limits. He calls here the just heavens, for what is what they are as God remains and dwells within them by grace, and through it according to each one's disposition, gives them courage and firmness to rise above the earth as long as they are pilgrims. Afterwards, he gives them a place and a dwelling in the heavenly Jerusalem, according to their merits. For them, he poised the fountains and has divided them, distributing to each one with equity. He weighs the gifts of glory, the virtues, the helps, and the perfections, according to the dispositions of his wisdom. When he resolved to make the distributions of these waters of grace, he also resolved to give to the humanity, united to the divinity, all the ocean of graces and gifts, which naturally flowed from the divinity in its union with the only begotten of the Father. Although this ocean was infinite, he placed confines to it, namely the humanity, in which, in which was to dwell the plentitude of the divinity, and it was enclosed thirty-three years within these confines, in order that he might dwell among men, and in order that what happened to all three apostles on Tabor Mount might not happen to all men. In the same moment in which this entire ocean and all the rivers of grace reached Christ our Lord as being nearest to the deity, they also redounded in his most holy mother as being nearest to her only begotten Son. 
For without the mother, and precisely such a mother, the gifts and graces of her son could not have been disposed of in such order, and with such high perfection. Nor did the admirable harmony of the celestial and spiritual machinery and the distribution of the gifts of the church militant and triumphant rest on any other foundation. When he balanced the foundation of the earth, I was with him, forming all things. The works ad extra are common to the divine persons, for they are one God, one wisdom, one power. Therefore it was unavoidably necessary that the Word, in whom according to the divinity all things are made, should be in union with the Father in making them. But here more is meant, for also the incarnate Word was already present together with his most holy mother in the divine will. Thus, just as through the Word, as far as he is God, all things were made, so also for him in the first place, and because he is the most noble and most worthy end, were created the foundations of the earth and all that is contained in it. Therefore it is said, And I was delighted every day playing before him at all times, playing in the world. The incarnate word diverted himself at all times, because he knew all the ages and the lives of all the mortals, all being as one day in comparison with eternity. He was delighted because the whole course of creation had found its end, for when the ultimate day with all its perfection should arrive, men were to enjoy the affluence of grace and the crown of glory. He diverted himself, as it were, counting the days when he should descend from heaven to earth and assume human flesh. He knew that all the works and thoughts of men were like a play, wherein all is mere burlesque and deceit. He saw also the just, who though so weak and limited in their capacity, nevertheless would be fit for the manifestation and communication of God's glory and perfections. He compared his immutability with the changefulness of men, and how he was nevertheless to act in concert with them. He delighted in his own works, and especially in those which he ordained in his most holy mother. He took a great delight in the prospect of assuming the form of man within her, and in making her worthy of so great a privilege. And because the conception of these ideals and the efficacious decrees of the divine will in their regard were to be followed by their actual fulfillment, therefore the divine word adds, And my delight is to be with the children of men. My recreation is to work for them and show them favors. My contentment is to die for them, and my joy is to be their teacher and their redeemer. My delight is to raise the needy one from the dust and to unite myself with the lowly one. My pleasure is to unbend my divinity for this purpose and to clothe it with human nature, to constrain and debase myself and to suspend the glory of my body in order to make myself capable of suffering and of meriting for men the friendship of the Father, to be a mediator between his most just indignation and the malice of men, and to be their model and head whom they might imitate. O eternal and incomprehensible goodness, how am I ravished with admiration when I compare the immensity of thy immutable being with the insignificance of man, when I see thy eternal love mediating between two extremes of such immeasurable distance, a love infinite for a creature so insignificant, and at the time so ungrateful. O on what a low and debased object! O Lord, dost thou cast thy eyes, and on what a noble object! Can and should man fix his thought and his affection in beholding such a mystery? Filled with admiration and with sadness of heart, I lament over the unhappy state of men, their darkness and blindness, 
since they do not make any effort to understand how much the majesty has been beforehand in looking down upon them and in offering them true felicity with such great love and care as if thy own consisted in it. All his works and the disposition of them, as they were to be called into being, the Lord had in his mind ab initio, and he numbered and weighed them according to his equity and rectitude. He knew the constitution of the world before its creation. As it is written in the book of wisdom, he knew the beginning, the middle, and the end of time, the changes of the years and the courses of the ages, the disposition of the stars, the powers of the elements, the nature of animals, the wrath of wild beasts, the force of winds, the difference of plants, the virtues of roots, and the thoughts of men. All he weighed and counted. Not only that which is literally true of the rational and irrational creatures, but he preordained us all that which is signified mystically by these creatures. But as this comes, now within my scope at present, I do not speak of it in this place. You have been listening to Day 10 of the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. Today, we read Chapter 5 of Book 1, beginning with Paragraphs 61 through 71. When it comes to the Immaculate Conception of the Blessed Virgin Mary, which we celebrate on December 8th of each year, one of the ways that Blessed Duns Scotus reasoned to it was, he said it was fitting. It was fitting that God would do this for the Blessed Virgin Mary. And we hear this in the words of Maria of Agreda today in our reading from the Mystical City of God. She says, For it was necessary that God should provide beforehand against her participating in sin and against her being in any way subject to it. So the Blessed Virgin Mary was never able to commit sin because of the Immaculate Conception. She was preserved from it, and by being preserved from it means that she was unable throughout her entire life to commit a sin. That's why we call her the sinless ever Virgin Mary. Here's another line from today's reading, worthy of meditation. He decreed the union of the word with human nature and foresaw his mother, through whom he was to execute these wonders in the world. Well, that's what we say in the opening prayer on the Feast of the Immaculate Conception, that God foresaw the merits of the cross and applied them to his mother Mary. He decreed the union of the word with human nature and foresaw his mother. This is what God does. God is outside of time, and so he can take an event and apply it to Mary at the very moment of her conception. And what these readings from Maria of Agreda are suggesting, actually, is that Mary was already in the mind of God from the very beginning, from the very beginning of creation. Another line. He delineated the sphere and circumference where none could nor ever can enter except only the word, since none but himself can ever fill his place. For thus he was able to empty and humiliate in his divinity and humanity, then both humanity and divinity, in the womb of the Most Holy Mary. So what, where Jesus enters into the womb, this is a sacred place, Maria of Agreda is telling. No person was before in this womb. As we know, Mary says, how can this be, since I have had no relations with a man? And in our Catholic belief, in the perpetual virginity of Mary, nothing entered after that this womb of Mary was made sacred by 
Christ, by the Son of God, who was born of the pure Virgin Mary. Another line that really stuck out to me. He took a great delight in the prospect of assuming the form of man within her and in making her worthy of so great a privilege. When we talk about the Immaculate Conception of the Blessed Virgin Mary, we are talking about a singular privilege. There are lots of privileges of Mary, but this one is given to Mary alone. The dogma of the Assumption is a privilege of Mary, but it's not a singular privilege. She enjoys it now, but we know that in the resurrection of the body, we all will enjoy that privilege that Mary as a pilgrim on this earth already has experienced being raised body and soul into heaven. But only the Blessed Virgin Mary was conceived from the very moment of her conception without your original sin. So this is a singular privilege, making her worthy of so great a privilege of being spared original sin. This is God acting in the life of the Blessed Virgin. And finally... This was a very beautiful line again as well. Filled with admiration and with sadness of heart, I lament over the unhappy state of men, their darkness and blindness, since they do not make any effort to understand how much thy majesty has been beforehand in looking down upon them and in offering them true felicity with such great love and care as if thy own consistent in it. She speaks of the sadness of heart and Maybe you look out at the state of the world. Maybe you look at your own family and you're filled with sadness because your family, your friends, people you know, they don't realize the great gift. They don't realize how much God loves them. So it causes a sadness. We pray that the light of Christ might pervade the darkness. We pray that the power of Christ might open their eyes so they might no longer be blind to God at work in the world. It's a beautiful prayer. And may we also not be in darkness. May we also not be in blindness. But as we read the mystical city of God, may we be in awe of how God has worked from the very beginning of creation and continuing through the story of the Blessed Virgin Mary. I'm Father Edward Looney, and today has been Day 10 of the Mystical City of God, Volume 1, The Conception. I hope you'll join us again tomorrow as we continue reading the biography of the Blessed Virgin written by Venerable Maria of Agreda. Until then, may God bless you and Mary pray for you.